Hello, welcome to Typewriter Talks. This podcast features interviews with writers, poets, and other bookish folks. My name is Maureen McDowell, and I am the founder and executive director of Keep St. Pete Lit, which is a literary arts organization based in St. Petersburg, Florida. On Typewriter Talks, we discuss all kinds of writerly topics, hoping to show you that there is not one right way to be a writer. Typewriter Talks began in April 2020 and ran through March 2021 in response to COVID as an online chat that spanned 39 episodes, which can be found on our Keep St. Pete Lit YouTube channel. After taking a break to regroup, we decided to return as a podcast. Today, we are happy to welcome Peter Kagiyama. Peter is the author of four nonfiction books, For the Love of Cities, The Love Affair Between People and Their Places, and the follow-ups, Love Where You Live, Creating Emotionally Engaging Places, and The Emotional Infrastructure of Places. At the beginning of this year, he released his first work of fiction, Hunter's Point. Welcome, Peter. Thank you, Maureen. It's nice to talk to you again. We did an interview at Tombolo Books during your yes. big book release at the beginning of the year. Yes, and thank you again for that. Oh yeah, it was fun. It was fun. I loved reading your book and um, loved, I always love like getting inside the brains of writers that I know. So, you know, I wanted to know why the switch to fiction from nonfiction? Yeah. Um, yeah. If you'd asked me, you know, before COVID or even like the first half of COVID, I would have, I usually describe myself historically as a speaker who occasionally wrote but COVID obviously changed a lot of things for a lot of people. And I had this intense time of being home. I finished the 10 year anniversary edition of For the Love of Cities. And I was still sort of in this writing mode. And I didn't kind of know what to do with that energy. And I'd read a book that really inspired me and kind of got me thinking about this historic backdrop. And I quietly began working on this, this book. I didn't tell anybody for a while until I finally, you know, released about four chapters to my wife and said, Hey, uh, what do you think about this? But yeah, I, I'm going to call this a, a silver lining in that otherwise dark COVID cloud uh, there. So thank you COVID for that. Yeah. I also talk about the gifts. I often talk about the gifts of COVID. Um, mm -hmm. it, it really kind of got us quiet where we've been on this treadmill for so yes. long and kind of to be introspective and, and re recalibrate our lives and yes. think about what we need. And, and for you, you were like, I think I'm a fiction writer. And this is a series of books, correct? This is the first yeah. of a series? Yes. And in fact, uh, the sequel is done. It's with the editors right now. And uh, oh my gosh, looking up book three. So yeah, I, uh, I've unleashed the beast apparently. So uh, I, I loved it. I, I have, um, you know, I've, I always, I always enjoyed writing. I think I knew that, uh, but I really loved working on, on these on this this different side of my brain or something like that. So yeah, it's been wonderful. Do you want to tell us a little about a little bit about the book, or you want people sure. to pick it up? Yeah, go well, ahead. I, I, both. I'd love to you know pick it up, but yeah, you know, here's here's the gist of it. It is uh, it's historic fiction. It's set in San Francisco in the late 1950s. The main character is a Japanese American. Um, uh, he was an internee, and he was also a soldier you know, during World War II. And now he is a private detective for uh, you know a lot of folks who uh, don't historically get a lot of attention from you know traditional private detectives, sort of the uh, outsiders, the underdogs who need somebody to help them. He's the go-to guy for that sort of community. And this story revolves around a 
uh, an area of, of San Francisco that not a whole lot of people know about. It's called Bayview Heights. And there's a, a naval base out there called Hunter's Point, which which is where we take the, the name from. And there's some very interesting and some shady things going on at Hunter's Point uh, there that leads us to, you know, Cold War politics. And uh, there's a, a backdrop of the beat poetry scene, which I thought was really kind of fascinating to, to write about. There's some interesting cameos as well. Uh, Jimmy Stewart, uh, Jack Kerouac, Allen Ginsberg, uh, to name a few. To name drop a few, I guess I should say. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's it's a it's it's a fast paced adventure um, with some historical, a lot of historical stuff that really happened at that time, and some personally historic stuff uh, there as well. Because I based some of these characters on my own family and my family's experience uh, during both during and after the war. Well, I mentioned to you um, when we spoke at Tom Blow Books about how I love that. Um, sometimes we have books written by men that it's pretty much all about a man's journey, but you really brought in all these different types of characters, including his, uh, well, I won't give it away, but I feel that the women are act very well represented in the book. So thank you for that. Well, thank you. I guess it's always, that's a, that's a compliment. If, if men can write good women, good female characters, I guess that uh, that's saying something. So thank you for that. I appreciate it. Yeah. So you just finished your second book in this series. Mm -hmm. So what are you working on right now? Well, it's sort of, we're finishing up the editing on uh, book two, um, actually finishing up the audio version of Hunter's Point will be out probably within the next three weeks. Um, I'm reviewing the final things on that. That's a whole other world that's been really interesting uh, as well. And I'm super excited about it. Because it was like, oh my God, my, my this is like this guy brought my words to life. He did a fantastic job uh, with that, and so it's like I feel like I'm juggling like three stories. I'm juggling the first book, obviously, the second book, which is with the editors, and I'm still now I'm thinking about the third book. It's like this is kind of nuts, but <laughs> welcome to the life of a writer. Yeah, apparently. So this is what I guess I'm I'm signing up for. But uh, yeah. So how did you, if you don't, if you don't mind saying, how did you find, did you find the person to do the audiobook or? I, I uh, went through a, um, a particular, a company who sort of uh, packages the whole thing together. So they, mm -hmm. they, they, um, they produce it. They, you know, they help me source the actors and then they will get me into the proper distribution channels. It's sort of a one shop stop, which I kind of appreciated. Um, some people said to me, it's like, Hey, you should, you got a nice voice. You should read it. It's like, well, that's very kind of you to say that, but I am not an actor. And the, the thing is, is yeah. like, if I was just, if I was reading, you know, my, my nonfiction stuff, I think absolutely I should, you know, there, you know, I should be the one who reads that, but good audiobooks, those, those people are actors. They, they really do. They bring a story to life. You know, all these different characters and the voices It's like, no, no, know what you're good at. And, you know, I don't think that's my strength. So um, we got to, you know, the company, um, we put out the word, you know, uh, for auditions, I got to review like 10 different, you know, um, actors for this stuff. And they were all very, very good and narrowed it down to two. And we sent back some notes. They came back and got one guy. Uh, actually, he's a, he's a Chinese American guy out of uh, Los Angeles. And he's a, he's like an, an actor. He's got an IMDB reel. So, you know, I probably will see him on some, you know, um, Law and Order SVU episode or something like that. You know, Holy crap, that's Theo. It's like, yeah, that's my guy. Um yeah, it was it's, it was really interesting to uh, to go through this process. Yeah, your book had a very strong um, 
um, what would it be? I was going to say filmatic, but that's not a word. Cinematic. <laughs> Cin- cinematic. Yeah. <laughs> that's funny. Sometimes I make words up. Why not? That's okay. Um, but what, cinematic what quality. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's a, it has a very strong cinematic quality. Like I, I saw it as if a movie was. And I, I had asked you who yeah. you would want to have cast as the main characters oh, yeah. when we talked. Already, and, I've got that in my head too. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. Well, I, I, I guess I don't know any other way to write. I guess, you know, I'm seeing this story sort of evolve and I'm seeing it almost as a picture in my own head. And I, I guess I'm chronicling that uh, there. And, I'm you know, I'm also, uh, you know, I love movies. And so, you know, a good story, you know, like that scene, you know, seems it's visually oriented, the pacing uh, on something like that. Um, yeah, uh, I, I, hey, I've not been doing this that long, but I can't imagine writing in a, not writing in that way. Does that make sense? Yeah. And I mean, you need to write how you're meant to write. Like, I think yeah. sometimes new writers, um, which you're not technically a new writer, but you're in a new genre, they tend yeah. to think that they have to do it the way that everyone else is doing it, or they look at what's popular right now or whatnot. But I think following yeah. what is your best uh, path is always the right way. And it may be sometimes you're ahead of the, you're ahead of the curve, you know, it, the, the, it this new natural. way of. Yeah. yeah, and and so many books now are being adapted to series. Um, I I would totally why not love that. think like and that. I, yeah, I can see it as a as a you know as a as a limited series. Um, yeah, I think it's you know, hey, Netflix, if you're out there listening, give me a call. <laughs> yeah, and it's funny because yeah. I was I just saw Daisy Jones and the Six. I watched yes. the series, and then yeah. now I'm reading the book. Okay. And then I saw I saw the series of normal people and now I'm reading the book. So it's interesting. Sometimes it can lead you yeah. to the book, even though the series. So it's a, it's like an interesting flip almost. But it, yeah. so I fingers crossed for you. Well, fingers crossed for you. There's a lot of great stories out there. Um, but yeah, it'd be nice to at least, you know, somebody. Yeah, it, it'd be cool. Let me just put it out there to the universe. It would be very, very cool. I'd be very grateful. Thank you. Well, it's also <laughs> like I just started watching the series Beef. And um, there is more uh, Asian stories coming onto television, more representation happening. So you're right in it. (laughs) You're right in the, not that that's why you're doing it, but this story, it was time for it to be told. But I think that seeing a character like Katz is like uh, really needed right now. And just so fascinating and interesting, especially in the book. It's not giving too much away how he also represents people that are not, necessarily represented or you know he works for people as a private eye that aren't usually you know helped so i love that part of the book so oh go ahead no no uh representation matters and you know you you say that it's like now you're seeing you know asian american or asian stories up there you know we had an academy award-winning film i know Uh, yeah that's awesome and and two academy award winners (laughs) yes but, you know, when I was a kid growing up, there was almost no Asian representation on television. And, you know, that kind of matters. You know, I, you know, we had Mr. Sulu. It's like, OK. Yeah. And then as I grew up a little bit later, it's like, hey, Bruce Lee. It's like, oh, my God, Bruce Lee exists. This is amazing. Uh, you know, there. But it's, you know, it's taken a while. But I think, um, you know, uh, hey, there's lots of voices out there that are finally starting to get enough some attention. And that's a good thing. That is always a good thing. So tell us about your writing process. Yeah, um, you know the I, years ago when I when I was first thinking about my very first book, this would be you know in the late aughts uh, there. I read Stephen King's book on writing, which mm. I 
cannot say enough good things about. It is, it's a memoir, but it is a, it's a master craftsman telling you sort of how he does it in a very accessible sort of way. And the best advice that he put in there, and I, and I remembered this, I still remember this. This is what I tell folks. He said, writers are readers. Mm -hmm. If you don't have time to read, you don't have time to write, which is an interesting thing because, well, shouldn't I be focused on this? Like, and I've come to realize that my time reading and when I'm in that writing mode, I'm, I make sure every morning I get up and I'm reading something. It could be, you know, fiction, nonfiction. It could be part of the research I'm doing uh, there. But to me, reading feels like fuel for writing. Mm-hmm. It's like, you know, I'm, you know, I'm reading somebody else's stuff and I'm you know, either, either I'm getting inspired or I'm going, I can do better than that. Or it's like, oh, this is really cool. It's like, I need to have some elements like this, something, but it feels like fuel to me. And, you know, when I'm going, it's like, I don't, I'm not prescriptive about saying, oh, you got to do, you know, you know, 2000 words, you got to do this. It's like, I'm conscious of how many words, you know, I'll produce in a day. I usually, you know, when I finally wrap up, I look and see, it's like, how many did we do? They oh, 600. And eh, that's a good, but okay, we're getting there. Or, hey, 2600. It's like, hey, this is a good day. Yeah. Um, but I'm not slavish to a word count, you know, there. Um and some days it comes a lot easier. Some days it doesn't, you know, it's, uh, it's a little more challenging, but honestly, I've, uh, I find, I, I used to like to work in the coffee shops and I still do, but I yeah. found that I'm actually getting better at working at home, but I have mm-hmm. to, it's certain places at home. I like sitting outside on my porch. Yeah. I get a great view and I put in headphones just so it's enough sort of, you know, background music, background noise. And yeah. Yeah. Uh, I can write at home now, which was I, something a year or so, a couple of years ago. I would have said, that's impossible. I need a coffee shop. But uh, yeah. And I try, I do try to write every day when I'm in that sort of writing mode. Right now, like I said, I'm sort of scattered. I'm, I feel very discombobulated by all these different things that are sort of pulling my attention. But when I'm, when I, when I'm, ser- when I'm working on the book every day. Yes. I love that. How, how, and how's your writing process changed over the years? Because as you said, you used to, was that yeah. because of COVID that you moved, you know, out of the coffee shops and. and no, you know, because home, he, well, even when, even during sort of COVID, there was a couple of coffee shops where you could sit outside or, you know, sit mm-hmm. out there. It's like, I still in Florida, like, in Florida, in, let's be clear. <laughs> That's right. We're in Florida uh, there. Um, no, I think my, my process has changed because, uh, the stuff that I was doing before my nonfiction work is like, you know, I'm looking for, there's there's certainly more research. There's more stuff, places I've gone, places I've seen. It's like, I'm trying to sort of, you know, paint a picture of this really cool project, you know, in, in Richmond, Virginia or in Akron, Ohio, or something like that. And trying to convey why that's important. So there's a different sort of mindset in this, but all of this stuff, you know, this, the fiction is like, this is all, this is an internal dialogue, you know, there. It's like, certainly I'm doing research, but I'm doing research of, of a time period or something like that, or how does this work or how does that work uh, there? But it's, you know, it feels far more internal, I guess would be the best way to put it uh, than the work I'd done before. So that is different and it def- definitely feels different. Yeah. So there would be a need for quieter spaces and. Um... Maybe that's it. Yeah. Um it's funny. I also found that as I got closer to the end of the second book, I wanted to write at night. I don't know why, but, um, you know, yeah. summer would go down. I'd sit on the porch uh, there nighttime 
And it just felt like, okay, we're sort of like in the, and it was the, you know, granted the end of the story does take place at night. So maybe that was part of it, uh, but it just felt appropriate, you know? Or maybe it's um, like the psychological winding down the book and winding down it, the day. Sure. That sounds, that's a good, that's a very good analysis. <laughs> I, I will go with that. Uh, there. And again, you know, in the past, that was never sort of, you know, the issue. It's like, you know, I, it wasn't my, my own psychology wasn't sort of part of the, uh, of the process. But I think clearly as, you know, writing fiction, your psychology is part of that process. And that's kind of interesting because uh, they don't tell you that in the, in the books. Uh, it's like, no. Hey, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's funny, but I, I think it's also good to, you're really showing how there's not one right way to be a writer. And then sometimes even um, in the span of a life of a writer, your writing process changes and we can yeah. get so fixed that this is how we are and we can't do anything differently. And then maybe you decide that you need more privacy or that you want to work at night, or <laughs> maybe you have a right. child like I did. And I went from writing for several hours a day to, okay, I've got enough time for the length of this DVD. This is before streaming services. Yes. <laughs> and we pop a DVD correct? in an hour and a half, <laughs> an hour and a half, pop there in the DVD, go. the kids occupied, this is my time. And then I pretty much stuck with that, that time period. Sometimes it'll go a little longer, but it seems like an hour and a half is pretty good for me. So have you I'm, always been a writer? Oh, well, you want to say something? No, no, I, Alan, no, that's a better question. Um, no, like I said, I would have probably, you know, said I was a speaker who occasionally wrote, you know, mm. four, four books in the space of about 10 years is not exactly Stephen King, uh, you know, there, but and I think I was a storyteller because when I would present, you know, my, my, the, my bread and butter really has been, and I guess continues to be, I am a, I'm a speaker. I go and I tell stories about, you know, I work with cities on making them better, better place making, better communities, all that kind of stuff. And I, and I tell stories uh, around that. And so the books were essentially just sort of these compilations of these stories wrapped around sort of like, why, you know, so how does this matter? Why is, why are downtowns important? Why is parks and green space? How are we doing okay. this? How are we doing that? So it didn't feel it's writing, but it didn't feel, I guess, the same way, uh, you know, in all of that. So, uh, yeah, I would not, like I said, a speaker who occasionally wrote. Now I've, I'm embracing this idea as like, yeah, I, I am a writer and I, I kind of love it. That's, yeah, I can't think of a better life, I'll be honest. It's not an easy <laughs> life necessarily, but I don't, I can't imagine not being a writer. Like, it's just, yeah, it's it's like as long I just pray like as I age that my brain stays in my hand, <laughs> you know. Yes. But, you know, like because I write by hand mostly, like that. Oh, I really? Stay. Okay. But then I, but I also voice to text, so I guess I could move to that. But just the fact that, like, let me keep my faculties because I could just sit in a chair and continue to churn books out and be happy as can be. So that that sounds like a pretty good life. I agree. I know, right? It, it really is. So I have a question that what would you tell your younger writer self? But like, what would you have told yourself, hmm. the, the you that was just starting out as a fiction writer from the place you hmm. are now? What would, what advice would you give <laughs> All yourself? All of like two years ago. <laughs> well, we change a lot, right? If some cells are regenerating every day. So you we are a do. new person. Yes, uh, I think it's the 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 process. You know, um, the fiction. You know, in, in the past, it's like I, I wrote you know these nonfiction books. Like they were they sort of validated my I guess expertise as an urbanist. Okay, mm. that's great. Um, if, if you know if they sold, that's nice. You know, and people would buy them at the events that I would speak at. It's like this is great. 
Now it's like the book is the thing. Mm-hmm. And I think I'd probably tell my, you know, past self, not my recent past self, it's like, this is different. Um, and there is a whole other world that you're stepping into around, you know, promoting a book, selling a book, um, talking about a book. We're talking about a book now. Um, yeah. you know, there. So it's like writing is just part of that. So if you, you know, if you really, you know, if you're trying to have your 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 work get noticed. There's a lot of other work that goes into around that that is absolutely not writing uh, and sort of be prepared for that. Did and you be, have you seen your oh go ahead sorry and be and be patient with that. You know yeah nothing, that's a good word. Everything comes in inches, right? Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, we we're it. such a flash in the pan like like we need yeah. success right now and some people yeah. don't even see it like four until four or five books in and then there was I was just like listening to a podcast about Cheryl Strayed who wrote wild and when mm-hmm. the the book came out in 2012 but her another book that she wrote tiny beautiful things came out the same year and now it's tiny Be- beautiful things like wild was this huge success Reese Witherspoon spit played her character in okay. a movie and yeah. like she had like this huge amount of success came from that but then tiny beautiful things was basically just like sh- ignored and then now it's been picked up and it's a series that just came out on Hulu. And it's like okay. 10 years later that this book is getting yeah. the recognition that it had because the other one kind of overshadowed it. But it's just interesting. Like sometimes the time for a book is not, sometimes it's not even an author's lifetime, <laughs> you know, it's well, like, it takes yeah. a while. It takes <laughs> it, it, you know, it takes a while for sometimes for things to catch on or, you know, some of these, like yeah. even with we're having a lot of challenged books right now and banned books in Florida. And now everybody's reading Tony Morrison's the bluest eye because it's been banned. And I'm like, you're getting these, yeah. you're getting kids to read because you're telling them not to do this. <laughs> That's right. You think you're doing the right thing here. Like, don't do this, but you're not allowed to do this. And they're like, Ooh, I really want to do this. So well, you, the, it's interesting. I think the real tragedy is, as you said, if it's not in that, in you know the author's lifetime, if you don't see that a little bit of that, if not yeah. success, at least that appreciation. I'm I know. Trying to remember, um, is the Swedish writer Stieg Larsson, mm-hmm. the girl with the dragon tattoo? And yeah, that he, he like away. Yeah, yeah, he like literally delivered the novel to the novels to his publisher and like died of a heart attack. It was like, oh my god! And then so he saw none of that, uh, none of that that success. And I think it's not even the success would be great. I think it's just the appreciation that your story is out there and people loved it. You know, that's yeah. Kind of, that's, Tragic. Well, I will tell you that I loved your book. So you got your appreciation. So there's a little mm. bit to start with, but you, you, I know you already know this. You People have been really responding all different types of people, which is yeah, another really wonderful thing. That has been, that is also a difference. Like, yes, people will come up and tell you, it's like, Hey, your book, you know, is really cool. Or, you know, we're doing this uh, there, but they, you know, that when they talk about characters resonating with them, it's like, Oh, I love cats. I love Molly. It's like, Oh, this is so fun. Like, yeah, you know, they would, you know, it, that's a different sort of critique or a different sort of feedback than I got with my, my nonfiction stuff. And it's been pretty cool. So, so tell us like maybe um, what are you reading right now or who are you, some of your favorite authors? Hmm. I'm sort of like all over the place right now. I've read a couple things that were sort of um, uh, research for the, what I think is the third book, um, mm-hmm. uh, Robert Ed- Edsel, uh, The Monuments Men. Uh, mm. about the World War II guys who basically saved all of the, uh, the yeah. art 
you know, the, the mm -hmm. one after the Nazi art thieves. Like, I think that this may be a backdrop for book three. Not mm -hmm. entirely settled on that, but it's a very, it's a great story. It reads, you know, like, and, you know, they made a movie about, you know, all yeah. of that. Um, I've been reading several of those hard case fiction uh, books, sort of, and historically, I wasn't really into that kind of stuff, but I kind of have come to appreciate some of that. Stephen King's written some stuff in there, a woman by the name of uh, Christina Faust. I just finished a book by her, um, really quite good. And then some fantasy stuff, uh, Kings of the Wild, this uh, this awesome D and D rock and roll fantasy book. It's like, okay. Um, <laughs> I love it. Yeah. Um, like I said, reading feels like fuel and it's like, all right, let's take on, you know, sort of a, a steady diet of one thing I think is probably not necessarily good for your imagination. Right. Yeah. Um, I definitely read across genres. I pr pri primarily read nonfiction, but I throw in some fiction there and then poetry and then I, I mean I still consider sometimes listening to podcasts to me feels like you're hearing somebody read something oh, to you yeah like all like that's another form of nourishment and a way of taking in um, well I'm also things. finding yeah I'm also finding that you know I I'm reading something a, a physical book I'm reading something on my kindle and I'm listening to something at the same time uh, at the same time three like usually two or three different things uh, there because some things I want to you know to some things I kind of want to read I want to take notes especially the nonfiction stuff if it's research it feels like you kind of need to be able to take you know notes or highlights at least you know in the Kindle yeah. app but yeah. there's other stuff it's like I want to go for a walk and I want to be entertained you know so you go and that feels very different as well so an audio uh version of that feels appropriate uh so these these are things that like if you're feeling blocked these are ways that you get inspiration. Is there any other ways that you go from anything you do for inspiration other than just not just reading? Other I don't want to jinx it, but I've never really felt blocked. I love um, it. I've felt, you know, it's like, hmm, I need to work on this. It's like, you know, and you just feel like there's something sort of churning. It's like, all right, I'm stuck on this particular thing. How do I get these characters from here to there? Or how do I solve, or, or how does this sort of thing happen? And sometimes you just got to, like I said, you go for a walk, you go for a workout, you watch something else on TV, you read something and you're, you know, sort of that, the, you know, the, in, in the back of your brain is still trying to solve this problem. Right. Yeah. And so it's like, and then it comes like, Oh, what if we did this? And it's like, okay. And then we're off and running again. So I don't know. Yeah. I don't feel blocked. I feel like it's like, you know, I'm still thinking about it. Does that make yeah, sense? I yeah, I was talking to Gloria Munoz, who uh, the podcast for her just came out today. We're recording this a week prior to when it will be yeah. aired. And she was talking about that, how we were talking about how when you're a writer, you're always writing, even if you're just daydreaming, like staring off at a wall. Yeah, like it, it can look like you're doing nothing. <laughs> it can right. look like you're doing nothing, but we're not doing we're yeah. not doing nothing. We're churning and processing. Right. And I also like that you know, you mentioned patience earlier and, and just yes. waiting for life to show you what the next answer is like through mm -hmm. movies or this. And I've often found if I ever have a major question, I'll pick up a book and like within like a couple chapters, the answer will appear right there for me. So it's like magic. Yes. It's like magic, but that, but it's also a dance. Like if yeah. I, I would say the older I get, the more I'm like, okay, I need to just go do this. And or go yeah. listen to this band or go see this. And then all of a sudden the, the, the music yeah. whispers and then, then I get the answer I need. So, I, okay. I so music is important too. Music, uh, I think, you know, sets a mood and a tone and whatnot. 
Um, I listen to music while I'm writing and mm. I actually have a, a, a sort of a playlist of songs that I never have to like, it's like, I'm not, I don't really want to listen to that right now. So like stuff I love, but it could be like all across different genres and whatnot. Some mm-hmm. of it's completely instrumental. Some of it's like very rock and roll. Um, but it's something that I, it's like, I don't have to hit, you know, it's like skip. I never have to do that. So it's, yeah, that I think is important. You know, if you have something, you know, that maybe is, you know, uh, fueling you in that, in that way that you never have to stop and think about. Does that make sense? It's interesting. Yeah. But it's interesting that you're able to do that because I could not, my, my child's like that. I'll come into his room and he'll be like watching a document, a film and then mm-hmm. texting with his friend and he's drawing on his tablet, the most amazing piece of digital art. And he's also like doing his homework. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah. how are you doing all three of these things? Like at the same time, but yeah. he's doing them all well. He's not just kind of, you know, the, the homework he's getting straight A's. Yeah. And then, and I'm like somebody that like, if I'm writing, I need to be, I mean, maybe I could have some instrumental music in the background, but yeah. I've, if I hear the words, it well, would be, it'd be hard for me to do. So that's really interesting how different we all are, right? Well, I think we live in a world of, someone phrased it this way, we live in a world of continual partial attention. Mm-hmm. We're yeah. always dividing our attention between different things. And some of us, you know, are more comfortable with that than others. Clearly, you're, you know, your son has developed that. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. I think kids today have been sort of born into a world that's just like that. That to them is normal. Well, yeah. we remember. I remember when there were three, you know, stations on television. I know, yes, uh, ABC, you know, CBS, and NBC. Yeah, <laughs> and you had to go to the TV to change the channel. Uh, yeah. So, yes, I, I think you know I, I have adapted to something like that, but I get it that you know not everybody's built that way. It's like that's fine. Yep, that's why be you, be you. All right, so you have a piece of writing to share with us. I do. So. All right. Um. This was, let's see here. All right. I'm sorry. Okay, here we go. So this scene takes place, Katz has gone to see his friend who he met on the set of Vertigo, one Jimmy Stewart. And I don't know if people knew this, but Jimmy Stewart was actually um, in the Air Force during World War II and was an active, you know, maintained an active commission in the Air Force and well into like the, the late 60s into the early 70s. In fact, at, he becomes a brigadier general at some point. So Katz is, is enlisted um, Jimmy's help uh, in all this. And so uh, Stuart has some information and Katz has gone down to see him at his home in Hollywood. So here we go. They sat down on a comfortable bench that looked like a, that looked at the small pond near the rear of the garden. Katz recognized that this was the price for Stuart uh, to share uh, for Stuart to share his secrets. He wanted to be sure who he was giving them to. Katz drew a deep breath, feeling the need to center himself before sharing the story. I should say, Stuart has asked for the uh, Katz's story about how he won um, the the, uh, the Silver Star during World War II. So yes, it was at it was the Vosges, just after the battle in a town called Bifontaine. We'd fought house to house against some tough German resistance, uh, but they had taken the city. Our guys were exhausted, but two days later, we were ordered back into action to relieve a battalion of Texans that had been cut off by the Germans. The lost battalion, said Stuart. Katz nodded. 
Those guys have been surrounded for days by the Germans and no one could get them out. We tried airdropping uh, food and munitions to them, but those mostly ended up in the hands of the Germans. Hitler had apparently made the destruction of this battalion a priority among his generals, so the stakes were high. They sent us in and I was part of the advanced scouts looking for ways to flank the Germans, uh, but they were deeply entrenched into the mountainside. He looked across at the placid scene in front of him, so at odds with the death and chaos of his memories, but he continued. Eventually, we were pinned down in foxholes and behind trees, even though the Germans were just yards above us. Command ordered a charge, and like a bunch of crazy samurai, we attacked up the hill, screaming Banzai at the top of our lungs. He paused. We lost so many men. Stuart watched his friend, not wanting to press. He gently put a hand on Katz's shoulder and waited for him to continue. I found myself up the hill, a bit ahead of the rest of the squad. I could see the concealed bunker that was spitting out machine gun fire. I was out of grenades, so I had no choice but to dive into one of the openings and take the fight to the men inside. Stewart shook his head. How many men were in there? Katz looked at his hands. They said there was a dozen. You were injured? Shot. Twice. Stewart nodded and knew better, not, better than to congratulate or compliment his friend. Those who'd not been to war might marvel at the bravery, the so-called heroics, but soldiers knew better. He squeezed his friend's shoulder and they sat quietly for a time. So that was a little interlude between Katz and Jimmy Stewart uh, there as two soldiers, men who'd faced, who'd been in combat uh, there. But uh, Stewart had done some research for Katz and was about to reveal some secret stuff that he probably shouldn't have, but because he respected Katz and he knew what kind of man he was, um, he was willing to do it. And so, um, yeah, that was uh, that was an interesting sort of scene to write. It was not the action. It was not this, but it felt uh, interesting to write between my fictional creation and this Jimmy Stewart, who was, you know, one of America's great, you know, act iconic actors. Everyone knows, you know, him and his voice. So it's like you can picture this interesting conversation between the two of them. And I, yeah, and also I didn't realize that Jimmy Stewart was actually still a part of the military. He was. While he was acting. Yeah, yeah. and you, you, you let us know more about that in the book too. Well, Peter, thank you so, so much. And you've been a wonderful guest and it's been great to interview you again. And I feel like we covered all new territory again. Well, so. congratulations on bringing typewriter talks back. Well done. Oh yeah. So yeah. exciting. I, I, yes. It's a little bit, I, I was telling a friend today that it's a little bit uh, of me uh, getting a masterclass <laughs> too by interviewing all these writers, being a writer myself. So it, it, there's a little bit of selfishness, but that's hey, okay. That's okay. Enlightened self-interest. Okay. Well done. So thank yeah, thank you. So thank you everyone for tuning in um, on episode two of Typewriter Talks. Uh, this series will continue weekly. Uh, and if you want to know more about Keep St. Pete Lit, you can go to keepstpetelit.org. Thank you for tuning in and we'll see you next week.